Hello all, we have a quick, tiny reboot episode for you today. This episode was first released February 1st, 2018. And if you're new here at the Art History Babes, we have a few different kinds of episodes. We have our regular long format episodes that go a lot deeper and are also a lot more wild sometimes. And then our Art History Babe briefs or BBs, such as this episode, which are much shorter, more to the point, and they are not explicit. So they are more appropriate for a younger classroom setting, can use them in schools. And this one we have for you today is on the big, big concept of the sublime. Also, if you want to help us to continue to make new content or make new content more often, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. We really appreciate any support, anything you are able to contribute. We want to get to our first goal so we can make podcasts every single week for you all. Also, there's tons of extra content over there. We've got like over 20 bonus episodes, some videos. We have our book club. You can get stickers and t-shirts and there's all kinds of good stuff. So check out patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our current patrons. We appreciate you so much. Also, there is going to be new merch hitting the Art History Babes store this week arthistorybabes.com. Be on the lookout for that. I'm very excited about this round of merchandise. It's been a long time coming. So yeah, I think that's all I have for you. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Art History Babe Briefs. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Ginny. I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. And we got another little baby episode for you. BB Brief, coming at you. We're tackling some heavy stuff in this baby brief. <laughs> so we'll do our best. And you can also expect a full-length episode on this Certainly. from us. Because this is the type of thing that philosophers have been getting in arguments about for centuries. Mm-hmm. So. Truly. And we would love to wax philosophically on the sublime. Oh, definitely. So yeah, we're going to give you a quick rundown of the sublime if you're not familiar with it. So maybe you have a place to start Mm -hmm. in understanding this grand idea. All right. The sublime. It's more than just an American ska punk band from the early 1990s. (laughs) So much more. For artists, the sublime is often an expression of the unknowable. By its very nature, the sublime is difficult to define. In aesthetic philosophy, the sublime is the quality of greatness, whether physical, moral, intellectual, metaphysical, aesthetic, spiritual, or artistic. The term especially refers to greatness beyond all possibility of calculation. Whoa. It's a lot. (laughs) The word comes from the Latin sublimus, sub meaning below or up to, and Lehman meaning limit, boundary, or threshold. Lehman is also the word that was used to describe a lintel. Oh, yeah. So like post and lintel. It's the beam that holds the weight of a doorway or a window. So kind of relating it to this bigger philosophical idea, the sublime can express the sense of facing or pushing back against an overbearing force. The same way a lintel holds up an overbearing Mm -hmm. force. 
Over time, the sublime, specifically when discussed in relation to the arts, came to mean something beyond normal experience. The first known use of the sublime is from an ancient Greek text, circa 1st century AD, known as Longinus. Longinus is a treatise on what constitutes good writing, with the ultimate goal being achievement of the sublime. Longinus cited Genesis in regards to the sublime. A similar effect was achieved by the lawgiver of the Jews, no mean genius, for he both understood and gave expression to the power of the divinity as it deserved. When he wrote at the very beginning of his laws, and I quote his words, God said, what was it? Let there be light, and there was. Let there be earth, and there was. Whoa. Right? (laughs) So That's heavy. (laughs) It is heavy. And just in trying to pull apart the ancient roots of this idea, obviously from the very beginning there was a connection to God. Of course. Yeah. This idea of God obviously being involved in the sublime already Mm -hmm. makes it big and heavy and intense. Right. And in this quote, it references expression to the power of divinity. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, at least for me and my understanding of the sublime, is maybe the core of where this notion comes from. Yeah. Especially considering that is at the core of so many different discourses, whether they're philosophical. I mean, obviously, more distinctly religious ones, you're going to have some divine figure at the center. But that makes sense to me that that is the kind of common thread that pulls through this idea of the sublime, starting from these ancient philosophical roots looking on more towards the 19th century and all that yeah and so i mean obviously we're talking about genesis we're talking about abrahamic religions here so obviously we're talking about a judeo-christian god but i think you could connect it to a bigger idea of god Mm -hmm. being expressed Mm -hmm. with this idea which brings me to Edmund Burke and the Romantic Sublime, hmm. my favorite of the sublimes. Of course. <laughs> In 1757, Edmund Burke wrote one of the most famous texts concerning the sublime, a philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful. Mm. That is a title. According to Burke, the sublime moves us more supremely than the beautiful. There is a darkness or a gloominess about the sublime. Mm. There is a danger and intensity that is associated with the sublime that is not associated with the beautiful. Burke suggests that what sets the sublime apart is that it is tied to the possibility of pain. With Mm. encounters with the sublime, we are forced to face our insignificance, and there is something both terrifying and exciting about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Romanticism, an artistic style popular around this time, circa 1800, so kind of coming out of Burke's ideas, was largely concerned with the untamed power of nature, kind of connecting to these ancient ideas with the romantic sublime. You can connect nature with God in a very intentional way. For example, we often see storms as an expression of the sublime in art from the romantic landscape painters such as Caspar David Friedrich and J.M.W. Turner. For example, J.M.W. Turner's landscape paintings would often Mm -hmm. minimize the people or the civilized part of the painting. They'd be there. There'd be a scene that involves Mm -hmm. people or a town or a ship. 
but they were small. Mm -hmm. They were very small. And the majority of the painting was taken up with this grand expression of the power of nature through color and very sweeping brush strokes. And it was just this beautiful, almost like blast of color Mm -hmm. expressing nature, oftentimes a storm. For example, a sailing ship maybe falling or succumbing to the insurmountable power of the storm that was taking up the majority of Mm -hmm. the composition. Mm -hmm. Right. One more artist really quickly. Let's not forget John Martin. Really excellent examples of sublime works. So look up John Martin as well. And in talking about the sublime, we can't leave out Immanuel Kant. So 18th, early 19th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant was also interested in the sublime. So Kant emphasized the overwhelming and frightening effect of the sublime, which, like what Corey was saying, can include elements of nature like storms and the ocean, but also can include things that are man-made like massive buildings. However, the sublime can also be be a pleasurable feeling. According to Kant, things that are massive and overwhelming are not, in fact, what is sublime. What is sublime is considering these things in relation to concepts of totality and freedom. However huge the building, we know that it is really, really tiny compared to absolute totality. However powerful the storm, it is nothing compared to total freedom. Something overwhelming in this way can itself be overwhelmed when considered with reason and philosophy. Freedom, totality, and mortality are all emphasized in Kant's theories regarding the sublime. The sublime is mysterious and alluring, according to Kant, as the sublime can be difficult to get our heads around, but there is beauty in that kind of overwhelming mystery. It's capable of getting our heads around, even if it seems initially impossible. So ultimately, it's the power of the mind and its ability to reason that can make the sublime into a positive and pleasurable thing. Word. Philosophy. Philosophy. I like that approach because I adore the sublime and thinking about the sublime, but, you know, if you just are immediately taken back by the intensity of a sublime experience right. and you're not using logic or using your mind right. to really think about it, it's not going to be pleasurable, right. you know? I think that Kant is spot on with that. I think we've all experienced that in regard to, like, nature, you know, viewing the Grand Canyon. You'd be like, wow, look at mm-hmm. this. It's so... Oh, wow. You know, yeah, it, it's this grand, overwhelming thing that is also humbled by totality of Mm -hmm. the universe and creation and destruction and i mean i think for me just kind of going off that the ocean i love going to the ocean when i'm feeling very just all worked up or overwhelmed just going to the ocean not to necessarily swim or Mm -hmm. like have a good time just like going to stare at the ocean right it just readjusts you you know truly so the sublime it's something that is seen throughout all of art history. Therefore, we will be doing a full-length episode on it at some point. However, the first image that you will likely see 
upon searching for the sublime in your art history textbook or google is by the artist casper david friedrich wanderer above the sea of fog from 1917 and this is basically what we're talking about going (laughs) out into nature 100 just contemplating yeah literally every time i feel like every time i've looked up something on the sublime it's always this picture yep and i love it i love casper david friedrich but yeah it's this man and he's standing atop a rock which you know, I've done many a time out to nature <laughs> and he's looking out onto a sea of fog <laughs> and, yes. and there's something mysterious. He's mm-hmm. kind of overpowering it, but not at the same right. time, you know, it's a tug and pull. Yeah. And I mean, it looks so vast. You can't even see the end point because of the fog. Right. It just seems endless. And yet, you know, this figure is standing there and just looking out upon it. You can only see him from the back, so you can't see his facial expression, but you can tell that he's contemplative and doesn't seem overwhelmed by it, but rather embracing this right. kind of vast, mysterious expanse. You know what I just remembered, interestingly enough? I believe that my copy of Immanuel Kant's Critique of Judgment mm-hmm. has this painting on the cover. Oh, <laughs> naturally. Of course it does. <laughs> and rightfully so. I understand why it gets chosen because, you know, visual culture. Visually, it expresses the idea, I think, in a very clear way, but it also does it in a balanced way. Whereas another one of my absolute all-time favorite paintings by Casper David Friedrich, Monk mm-hmm. by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. adore Monk by the Sea. It's so good. But that painting is a little more, you know, the monk is very minimized. Mm-hmm. Whereas Wanderer Above a Sea of Fog is a little more... It's pretty present. It, he's present. Mm-hmm. He's moving towards this unknowable mm-hmm. natural landscape. So I think there's a little bit more, I guess, balance of the philosophical ideas that surround the sublime. Yep. Whereas Monk by the Sea is very clearly representing a specific type of sublime like a very specific notion of nature overpowering the spiritual monk that's true i think that when i see wanderer above the sea of fog Mm -hmm. i feel as if the figure in the work he's like a force to be reckoned with against this powerful sea of fog this whole like vast expanse of nature before him whereas monk by the sea is 100 percent he's dwarfed by these forces of nature and i love it but it's a specific idea surrounding him so Mm -hmm. that's interesting two viewpoints of the sublime in two different works by the same artist right Mm -hmm. crazy Mm -hmm. cool it's cool um so ultimately the sublime kind of makes us feel small Mm -hmm. Uh, We are Mm -hmm. forced to face the grandeur of something bigger and be it God or nature. And as a result, the reason this is such a good thing is it restores our perspective. Right. So the sublime is really a lesson in just step back and and understand there's a lot more going on around you. Because it's just so easy for us all to get caught up in our own little orbits yes exactly and so that's why i love just this concept i love art that focuses on it i think it is such an important thing just an important meditation Mm -hmm. for people to think about get Mm -hmm. outside look at the stars go look at the ocean understand that you are part of a grand system beautiful 
truly beautiful. <laughs> Sublime. Thanks fact. for tuning in, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The art history <laughs> Jen just put some LaCroix in her wine. <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs>